We are in Psalm 119 again this morning. Psalm 119, we are in verse number 145. <clears throat> verse number 145, making our way through uh, this glorious, gloriously long chapter that David has penned for us in the Psalter. And here, in stanza number 145, this is stanza number 19, uh, we have another incredible... I think stanza which speaks to, I think, uh, the, a need of a lot of our hearts. I know it spoke to me as I was reading and studying uh, the stanza once again. Uh, I'll just make the confession to you right off the bat is that uh, I don't pray as often as I should. <laughs> that's probably not anything super earth-shattering to you. Uh, I think that's uh, what many Christians probably would say, that they don't pray as often as they should pray, even though they, they know that they should pray and that it does a lot for their souls and their minds, and it does a lot for their hearts. I think you might have to confess the same thing, that we don't often take the time out to pray, that when our schedules are getting hairy and crazy, what often goes is the, even the short amount of time we spent in prayer anyways. And maybe that's not true for you. Maybe you spend three hours in prayer like the Puritans of old. <laughs> or it, not saying that that's what you should do. But I think oftentimes, um, I, just speaking for myself, <laughs> uh, prayer is sort of the thing that goes when I just have too much to do. Uh, for one reason or another, I, 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 it's, it, it's almost as if we, when we pray, we don't see an immediate benefit so if we, if we can cut out the things that don't give us an immediate benefit, then that's okay. Uh, I, I think a lot of times that's how we operate, at least, uh, at least that's how I operate. And I've, I've used this illustration before. Um, we treat prayer like flossing. We should do it. The dentist tells us to do it, that it's really good for our health, and it can extend your life, I think, by like seven years or something like that. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> but we don't do it. I mean, the only time I've flossed is when I go to the dentist and he flosses for me. Um, and I'm not saying that, that it's good that I don't do that. I'm just confessing to you. I'm openly confessing my faults. <laughs> but I think a lot of the times prayer is similar, is that we know it's something that we should be habitually doing every single day, something that is just driving our lives. And yet oftentimes, things crowded out. Either we're too busy or we have found something else to take up our time. And, and I, I think that's what's so fascinating to me is, especially among uh, people my age who will say that they're trying to find God's will, that they're trying to find what God would have them to do with their lives. And oftentimes they're trying to do that with a closed Bible and without ever praying. Which I think is kind of funny because that's exactly how they would be able to know what God's will for their life is. If they want to know what God wants them to do, they have to be in that position to let him tell them what he would have them do with their lives. You, we can't expect God to answer unless we are listening. And so I think that's one of the most sort of unsung necessities of prayer, if we really want God to show us what we, what we should do with our lives, oftentimes we should just sit and listen. Charles Bridges, the, the guy I've been referencing, the commentator on this, this wonderful psalm, he writes, he doesn't sort of mince words, he just says, your soul would not be so empty of comfort if your mouth were not so empty of prayer. <laughs> 
He doesn't make any excuses, is that oftentimes we aren't comforted because we aren't going to the one to whom is called the comforter, the one who is, is the one that we are called to cast all of our cares and anxieties on. It is this great God who meets us, who comes close to us, who is near to us in prayer. And I think, too, another thing that I've often uh, reflected on is that many times when I am most stressed and vexed and perplexed by this life, it's often because I haven't spent time in prayer. It's often because I've tried to do it in my own ability, in my own knowledge, in my own strength, in my own intellect. I've tried to uh, get press through the, th- through the doubts and through the struggles and through the frustrations. But I think really many of those nagging doubts that afflict us, that are, all, are on us a lot about our life, about faith, about church or whatever, they would find their resolution the more often that we are in prayer, on our knees, praying to God, the one who can give us that peace and quiet of soul. And I think that is exactly what the psalmist here is writing towards. He's writing about what prayer has done for him, and what prayer can do for many other Christians uh, throughout the church, throughout all the ages of the church. And I think that's what he's driving towards. That the most successful Christians are those who spend more time kneeling than anything else. More time praying than anything else. Which isn't to say, I'm not saying that we all have to go to a monastery or a nunnery and just become nuns and monks. <laughs> I'm not saying that. but Because uh, again, remember where Paul writes, I think it's in First Thessalonians at the very end. He just says those two, those three words, pray without ceasing. That's not that we have to spend 24-7 in prayer. It's just a mindset, a sort of attitude. It's how you carry yourself as if you are praying. As if you are in constant conversation with this God who is your Lord. With this God who is your Savior. It's, it's, not, it's, it's about more like a spiritual posture than necessarily a physical one. Again, we don't have to uh, all become monks or nuns. It's about praying without ceasing in every single part of our lives. Because it's the, it, we're talking to the one who is our Lord and Savior. And I think when life gets busy, prayer is set aside. And I think it's not just scheduling, though. Um, the thing that I've often thought about, too, as I've prayed with like younger people and stuff like that or perhaps newer Christians, is that they're often scared to pray. Have you ever prayed with someone who's scared to pray? That they're afraid they're going to mess up? That, that there's somehow a certain type of language that they have to use when they pray? Somehow they've come to believe that through whatever reason, that they have to have these eloquent, exact prayers. They have to be really precise, and so they're afraid they're going to mess up, so they don't want to pray. And I think that sometimes that that kind of is influencing it. And I think <laughs> this is exactly what David is speaking to in this stanza, starting in stan- verse number 145. This idea that there's, that there's these certain words that we have to use or that this life of prayer is sort of something that can be cast aside. We see here that it is so, it is so essential for David's life, and I think, rightly, it is essential for our lives too. And he exemplifies 
in these eight verses sort of three postures of prayer, I think, that will aid our own prayer lives, that will help us in our own prayer lives. And I know that if I were to take these to heart too this morning, and I'm preaching to myself, that these would aid my prayer life as well. So let me read the stanza, and then we'll jump into these three sort of postures of prayer. He begins in verse 145. I cried with my whole heart, Hear me, O Lord. I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent the night watches, that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. So here he has these three postures. The first one comes in verses 145 through 149, I think, where we see sort of the brokenness of prayer. The brokenness of prayer. Look at what he says again. Look at the, the word that keeps repeated in the first three verses. He says, I cried with my whole heart. Verse 146, I cried unto thee. Verse 147, I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. He is pouring out his soul to this God, to this God who comes close to him in prayer. He is feeling rightly broken and defeated, rightly frustrated by perhaps the things that are surrounding him, by the life that is going on around him that speaks all of these stressful and guilty difficulties that come to, into his life. And he, you can see it, he's pleading with God, he's weeping before him. God, show me, let me hope, let me continue to keep your testimonies, your statutes. He's, he says he cried with his whole heart. All of him, all of his energy and strength is being put into this prayer because he knows how broken he is. He is weeping with his Lord. He says, hear me, save me, quicken me. Notice those words. He says, hear me, verse 145, and save me, verse 146. And then in verse 147, or excuse me, 149, quicken me according to thy judgment. I like that those are his prayers. Two words each. Two word prayers. Save me, hear me, quicken me, help me, God. These aren't long, flowery prayers. These aren't really uh, incredible incantations where he's trying to impress God with these uh, incredible poetic words. Just two words. Lord, help me. I cry to my God, save me. You can just feel they're just bursts of desperation, you might say. They're just, just blurting out God, to God what exactly he needs in the moment. He needs saving. He needs God to even just hear him. It reminds me of what Jesus says to, uh, to his disciples about the Pharisees. Let me read you these verses because I think they, are echo, they echo exactly what the psalmist here is talking about. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and he says this, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. (laughs) This God... This God who Jesus is saying that knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. This is the God you can't impress. (laughs) You can't impress with these long flowery prayers that have lots of, of poetic words. Rather just go to him. And, des- and blurt out you might say. Burst out this desperation that you have. This is what David was doing. Hear me, save me, help me. This God who knows his heart, who knows exactly what he needs. It reminds me, I, I love how Jesus says in that passage that they, that they try to uh, get on. Well, let me, read the, let me read it again. I just flipped back from it. I apologize. Where he's, he talks about the much speaking. He says, Matthew 6 verse 7. For they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. They think that they shall be uh, more likely to be heard by talking a lot more. By using a lot more words. (laughs) Using a lot more language. They think that they will be heard a little bit better. And God is saying, uh, Jesus is saying about his father that that's not the case. And I think David is saying the same thing. He's openly crying to God. Not using flowery words. It's not the length of our prayers that makes God hear us. It's the heart of our prayers. It's the heart behind them. Such as why David is coming with his brokenness. His heart was broken. And such that he knew the only person who could save and hear and help him was his God. He's not... God is not desirous of perfect diction and exact syntax when we pray... His ears aren't more in tune to long, well-articulated prayers. God just wants to hear you. Just like David. He just wants to hear you. Like that, the most, I think one of the best prayers in the entire scripture is the prayer from Luke 18. And the publican who beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not an incredibly long prayer. But it's a prayer full of meaning and full of heart. It's full of one who is broken. One who knows rightly that he cannot help himself. And that he's going to God as a person who does not deserve the help of God. And he's pleading for it anyways. David is exemplifying this. This sort of lack of elegancy in our prayers. Listen to what one writer, I love how he writes this. He says, God looks not at the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are, nor yet at the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are, nor yet at the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many they are, nor yet at the music of your prayers, nor yet at the sweetness of your voice, nor yet at the logic of your prayers, but at the sincerity of your prayers and how hearty they are. 
I think that's what David's getting at. He's looking, uh, God is seeing the sincerity of David's heart. David knew he was broken. And he was coming to God in his brokenness. You know, one of the things that I love is hearing children pray. Especially children pray for like dinner or something like that. They are the most simple prayers. They pray for things that we don't think about praying for. Like a fork or a table or a chair. Or this new gift that they can't wait to play with after dinner. I think about, we've been trying to teach Lydia to pray before bedtime. And so we'll repeat some things uh, and she'll repeat them back to us in, in, in the prayers. But I love how she, we always take her through to say all the names of her family. And then she, we, she, we say, I love you God. And she says, love you God. And, she, and I don't know if she knows yet. But the way that she prays it, it stirs me. Because it's so simple. It's a simple prayer. I love you, God. And yet I think that that is a lesson to me. <laughs> that we don't, need, we don't need a systematic theology <laughs> to pray. We just have to have a heart that desires to pray to a God that knows that this God is God. And is our only hope and our only help. I think that's what David is getting at. It's like praying like a child. Praying in simple, humble faith. Which brings me to the second lesson. Because looking at these verses, again, the same verses, verses 145 through 149. I think along with the brokenness of prayer, we also see the humbleness of prayer. Look at these words again. I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me. And I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. See, David is broken. David knows that he is not able to persist in this life except for this helper come and help him. And so that's why he's praying to him. But I love how he is not putting his confidence in the fact that he is broken. He's not putting his faith in his own repentance, you might say. He's not putting all of his trust and security in the fact that he's broken enough. You notice he says... Twice in these verses, he's pleading with God to even hear him. He's crying and he's saying, I really hope, God, that you hear these cries. He says in verse 149, hear them according unto your loving kindness. Hear them because you have promised that you will be merciful. Hear me in your mercy. His tears of repentance, his weeping of brokenness was not good enough. He needed God to hear him. He needed God to help him. And he knew, apart from this God, bending mercifully to him, to hear him, his prayers would not leave this, the four walls of his room. Unless God heard his cries, it was just talking to walls. And I think this is the humbleness that we have in prayer. 
The humbleness of prayer comes from understanding the very depths of our brokenness. Sins destroying, debilitating effects on our life. Which means that even our repentance needs to be repented of. Which is a startling thing to think of. Let me read you this passage because I love how this guy writes it. He's an old writer and his name is William Beveridge. But he understands just how broken he is. He says, I cannot pray, but I sin. I cannot hear or preach a sermon, but I sin. I cannot give an alms or receive the sacrament, but I sin. Nay, I cannot so much as confess my sins, but my very confessions are still aggravations of them. My repentance needs to be repented of. My tears want washing. And the very washing of my tears needs to still be washed over again with the blood of my Redeemer. (laughs) You can see how the totality of his brokenness lets him see that he he isn't owed anything. He doesn't deserve anything. Even the washing of the tears that he's crying to be uh, saved and need to be repented of. That's how infectious this sin goes. That's how infectious this destroying virus of sin goes. Such is why William here is crying for help. Such is why David is doing the same. He's crying with the promise. This is the promise of Jesus' blood. He wasn't heard because he was broken and he wasn't heard because he was humble. He was heard because God was dealing with him in loving kindness, it says. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. You want to know how God hears us in prayer? It's only as we bring God's blood with us in faith. Only as we bring Christ's remission and sacrifice for us. When we bring that with us in prayer, God hears us. God listens to us. Notice those two verses in verse 147 and 148. He's talking about how he prevented the night watches. Excuse me, 147. Prevented the dawning. And then in verse 148, prevented the night watches. He's... Hearkening to this fact that he's, he's uh, burning both ends of the candle, so to speak. Seeking for this God. Hoping in this God alone to bring some sort of comfort to him in his prayers. His restless heart was occupied with trying to find some sort of peace. Some semblance of comfort. Some semblance of assurance. And notice that. He alone cannot do it. He was up night and day searching for the peace of God. The peace of God only comes as we are resting in Him in prayer. Such is why he is emphasizing this point so much here. That our life is dependent upon our life of prayer. Your life as a Christian is dependent upon your life in prayer. Which makes me think of that wonderful Martin Luther quote where he says a Christian without prayer is just as impossible as a living person without a pulse. (laughs) 
It is impossible to persist in this Christian life without getting on our knees and praying, without spending time with our God, without living in sort of an attitude and posture of prayer, even as we're going about our day. This is something that I desperately need to take to heart myself. What's, you don't have to tell me uh, if you don't want to, but what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you wake up? For me, sometimes it's, let me check my phone. <laughs> let me check the news. Let me check my email. Let me, it's not praying. <laughs> my first thought is something that I need to accomplish or read or do. <laughs> I think I would, I would be a much happier person if the first thing that grabbed my attention in the morning wasn't something that was occupying my stress levels. It would be if I was occupied by my God. I pray to do that. And when I wake up, the first thing isn't check my phone. It's open my word, open God's word and pray. Spurgeon writes about this. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he has good words about this. He says, He who rushes from his bed to his business and waiteth not to worship is as foolish as though he had not put on his clothes or cleansed his face and is as unwise as though he dashed into battle without arms or armor. <laughs> Waking up and getting right into what I need to do is just as if I woke up and didn't put clothes on. <laughs> Which is embarrassing, but also uh, you're not prepared for anything that's to come in the day. You're going into battle, as he says, without armor. You're going into a war unprepared. And an unprepared warrior is going to lose every time. Such is why Spurgeon is emphasizing this here. Pray, make that your occupation in the morning. David is saying, I was yearning to do that night and day. And I pray for the same sort of resistance and persistence and discipline there. Such is why he can say, I hoped in thy word. Because this is the word that he was praying. But this leads me to, I think, perhaps the most beautiful lesson in this text. Because we have the brokenness and humbleness of prayer. But in the last three verses, we have the nearness of prayer. The nearness of prayer. Look at it again. Verse 150. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord. And all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. This to me is one of the most incredible promises of scripture. Is the fact that yes, God will hear you in his mercy. He will mercifully bend his ear. But even better, he comes close to us in prayer. That communion with God isn't just communion with some spiritual being. God hears you and comes close to you in prayer. And David is confessing this very thing. He's saying his enemies, the things that are around him, they are drawing near to me. And yet, what does he say? Thou art near. It's almost as if he's saying, they feel really close, as if they're about to pounce. But God, you're even closer to me. You're even closer than my enemies. In prayer. As close as temptation may be, Jesus is closer to us. 
He's nearer still. And this is what is the amazing benefit of prayer. Is it draws us, it brings us closer and closer to this God and Savior. Brings us closer to Him. Isn't it amazing that we can draw near to God and as James tells us, He will draw near to us. He will draw near to us. Charles Bridges writes, Prayer is not only the sense of guilt and the cry of mercy, but the exercise of faith. And here, he's exercising faith and trusting that his God would draw near to him. Why? Because of verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies. I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. The promise of God's nearness is in these testimonies of old. These these testimonies, these promises that are founded before time began, before the foundation of the world. That's what those two words there mean, of old. It reminds me of Ephesians 1.4 where it says, Before the world existed, He chose you in Christ. These promises of God. They assure us that he will hear us. But they also assure us that he will come close to us. In these testimonies of old. Let me read you that verse from Ephesians chapter 1. Because I think it's so important to. As it sort of echoes what is going on here. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Paul of course is writing. He says. According as he hath chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before the foundation of the world. Of old, these promises came forth that Christ would be your redeemer. That Christ would be your savior. That Christ would come near to you. This to me is the beautiful meaning and the beautiful uh, sort of um, uh, heart of Christmas. That God himself comes near to us in the form of a little baby, in the form of an infant, in the form of a human life that cannot even live except as if it depends on the life of its mother. This is the Savior that came to the world. This is how close He is to you. He becomes one of you. He becomes one like us. Jesus is the embodiment of this phrase. Thou art near, O Lord. This is Jesus. He's the embodiment of the nearness of God. Of the nearness of the Creator. Who comes close to sinners. Who dwells and dines with sinners. And eventually dies for them too. This is the closeness of God. The closeness and nearness of our Lord. It's embodied in Jesus. And it's it's the blessing that we are able to experience every time we pray. That God hears us and comes near to us. Because Christ's blood covers us. This is the greatest comfort, I think. For me, it's the greatest comfort of all. And when we pray, we're not praying to four walls. We're praying to a human person who's also divine. 
who hears us, who listens to us, who takes all of our thoughts and cares and struggles and brings them before His Father and intervenes for us. This is the greatest comfort of the gospel of God. It's the promise of God's closeness. Thou art near, O Lord. This is what He's promised. His abiding presence. And see, this is to, to me the posture of prayer that David has reoriented uh, for himself and that he reorients for us. That the brokenness and humbleness of prayer, it rightly shakes our confidence. But then we are stirred to have the comfort and the confidence of God's sure and steadfast testimonies that are given to us of old. That promise us He will come near. That He will come close. When you pray, you pray to a God who is close. Let us pray.